The human spirit is unconquerable. We are individuals and we are sovereign, born with unlimited potential, gifted from our creator. Our mission is to break free from the systems that bind us. I volunteer as tribute. We strive for peace and prosperity and overcome all challenges, roadblocks, and obstacles. We are empowered because we think for ourselves and we act for ourselves. We are self-reliant and independent, but guided by the wisdom of those who share our values. What possible difference can I make? There is no government, no ruler, nor ideas that are able to stop us. We are driven to succeed because we seek political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. This is Mike Corbell, and you are listening to The Invictus Mind. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Corbell. Thanks for returning to the show. I apologize for not having an episode last week. I had a scheduling conflict with one of my guests, and I failed to get something out in time. But I do appreciate all the people who listen to this program. I will do my best at getting content out every week because I know you are dying to hear the next commentary or perspective from me or one of my guests. So again, I appreciate you all returning to check this out. With that being said, please feel free to write a review of this program. You can do that on most of your podcast players or Apple and the Podchaser app. Let me know how I'm doing. If there's something you love or if there's something you hate, your feedback is very important to me. In this episode, I want to explore some real sentiment about the state of the world. It has now been over one year since they told us that we needed to just shut down for two weeks in order to flatten the curve. It's been over 12 months and still people are paranoid, scared to go out, and afraid to take their masks off. Other people are pissed, not only about the economic toils that the lockdowns had, but it seems that the culture has changed completely, or life as we know it has been forever altered, and many people have swallowed a black pill, seeing that all hope is lost. I invited Peter Quinones to return to the show today. He, of course, is the host of the growing podcast, Free Man Beyond the Wall. He's also the managing director of the Libertarian Institute and one of the executive producers of the popular documentary called The Monopoly on Violence, which can be seen on Amazon. Our discussion today may seem a little bleak, because honestly, life sometimes feels that way. My hope was to take a look at some of the things that seem depressing and see if there is a way to find a white pill, as I call it, out of some of the nonsense we are witnessing. We're also going to be discovering different approaches to messaging for liberty, be it through political parties or social media, and what the future may hold for those who want political freedom. If you are a fan of this show and you know who Pete is, then I know that you will appreciate this episode. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Peter Quinones. Well, hey, Pete, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you? <laughs> doing well. You know, I was looking at the first time that you and I recorded together. It was February 15th of 2020. <laughs> before the world ended. <laughs> exactly. Before the apocalypse. And, you know, I was looking forward to uh, zombies walking around after the virus. We didn't get the flesh-eating zombies, but we got mindless, brainless idiots walking around telling us what to do. Yeah. the I think these zombies are more dangerous because you can't kill them. <laughs> Right, exactly. You know, Pete, uh, <laughs> as a podcast, you probably know that uh, uh, a lot of people listen to you all the time and they kind of get that sense of getting to know somebody. You know, I appreciate the conversation this second time around because though we did talk about a year ago, I feel like over the last year, I got to know you a lot more uh, just from listening to your take on, on the state of the world today. 
it's one of those things that uh, you, uh, you're the kind of person that uh, I want to exemplify. Although I've heard you say this a couple of times on your program, that you're the same person on screen as you are off screen. A lot Pretty of, much. a lot of, yeah, a lot of people say that uh, you know they put a, a persona on uh, on on a podcast or on a radio program. But uh, I'm normally a peaceful guy. But uh, man, this last year has just gotten me so upset. And uh, you know, I kind of live vicariously through your uh, your black pilledness. But Peter, you know, more than that, I want to talk about uh, not just the state of the world and why everyone could be pissed off, but what are some of the things we can actually do to uh, to look at a white pill perspective? That's what I've been trying to hit on a lot lately. Um, is trying to get out of the black pill. But, you know, I, I just recorded an interview for my podcast not not an hour ago. And w- the person I was interviewing, we both admitted that we go one day we're white pilled, one day we're black pilled. It just, I guess, really depends on what we see in the world. And right now, you know, it's you just look at the way people are reacting. You look at the way how people have changed, how the culture has changed over the last year. Um, I didn't really think that there was a culture of liberty or freedom or that anyone would rise up and say, we're not going to take this and everything. But I didn't think that it was so quickly going to become, you know, we're just going to lay down for this and whatever you say is fine. And that's really what we've seen is we've seen that there, you know, as my friend Karen Keener says, there is no line. There, Americans don't have a line anymore. They, there's no line in the sand. They're, you know, probably I would say, I would really like to know the number of companies, quote unquote, private companies, in in the United States who rely on government for something. So, when you look at that, when you look at how many people are relying on the government for checks, relying on the government for what they think is protection, relying, I mean, all these things, you can understand why people would not want to rise up and say enough is enough. And I'm not talking about picking up arms. I mean, I'm talking about the the whole idea of saying you, you just have no authority over my life anymore. I don't care. I'm not, I'm, people, They. it seems like they have to embrace government. Every once in a while, you see that people, you know, um, a small groups of people here may fight back, but usually those are you know, taken down really quickly or marginalized called white supremacists, insurrectionists. That's my, my new favorite thing is that the word insurrection absolutely has no meaning anymore whatsoever. I mean, it's just bury the word. There's no, I mean, insurrection morons. I mean, morons, morons. people I know, people I know who are just morons who, you know, January 6th was an insurrection attempt moron moron i'll tell you you're a moron to your face it's just i mean it's it's really hard you know but then you think okay i have friends we get together and we have voluntary interactions and life goes on and you know i'm still able to go to the store and buy pretty much things that i want and hey maybe maybe that store thing is just some kind of um opiate to keep you you know, to keep you happy and everything. But I would think people like us should really be able to see the, um, see hope where there really isn't any. And it's hard sometimes, but it's there. Well, you live in a state that's uh, literally or virtually been open uh, since the beginning, pretty much. Uh, Here in Illinois, we're locked down in what they call phase four. And who knows if there's a phase five, phase five being, okay, all clear. You can take the mask off your face and you can live a a quasi-normal life. 
But I would say about 98% of people in this state are just compliant. And it drives me crazy because <laughs> I guess I'm a rebel, although I don't look like much. I am. I, I go into places without a mask and I get those just evil stares. I mean, how do you cope with that when you go around the world? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to expect. Um, I'm going over to Birmingham, Alabama in a couple of weeks, and they're they had a mask, a statewide mask mandate when we didn't, you know, and it's Alabama for Christ's sake, you know, and I found out this morning, I'm going to go to Washington state at the end of next month, towards the end of next month. And I'm wondering what that's going to be like. And really what, I mean, cause Washington state historically, especially if I'm going to be around the Seattle area, I mean, that's um, you know, historically not even left wing, but you know, just loony, loony left. Um, yeah. I don't know what to, yeah, Georgia is still, I mean, okay, so th- there are restaurants that are open. There are still restaurants that are doing, I mean, most restaurants are still doing every other table, that kind of that kind of crap. Um, still mask mandates going into supermarkets and places like that. And yeah, I mean, sure, yeah, we're open and we're a lot better than other states, but still that, that change in the culture that, you know, people, I watch people every day, like put their masks on. I, I I watch it and it's, I don't even think it's a safety thing anymore. I think it's like a security blanket, like a whoopee. Mm-hmm. It's like they're whoopee now. They, they put it on because it just makes them feel secure. It doesn't make them feel safe. I don't think it even makes them feel safe. I think it just makes them feel secure. And there's a difference. There's a difference in that. You know, you could, you can do something to feel secure and not think it's helping. If you're doing something for safety, you can think that, you know, hey, I'm, this is, I have to do this because, you know, my, my safety is at risk here. My health may be at risk, but security is a different thing. And it really seems like it's become like a security blanket for a lot of people. And that's really sad because it just perpetuates everything. I mean, and we've seen the, um, you know, Tom Woods has done great work on showing how masks don't work, how they'll start a mask mandate here. And then all of a sudden the case is just skyrocket. You know, you expected with the mask mandates at the top of the, the arc that it drops, that it would drop down, but no, it's like masks get mandated and then the case is skyrocket. And it's just like, well, I mean, then what's the point? Obviously there's something else at play here. And of course the, the mask, the mask holes will tell you that, um, well, you know, you're probably just not wearing your mask right or not enough people are complying and everything. Yeah. But the people who aren't complying, I don't see them dropping dead. Right. You know, so, it's, uh, you know, it's like, I mean, I, I don't know. How, I know a lot of people who have been against this whole thing and, you know, who've basically called it a hoax and everything. And um, I don't see them dying. It seems like it's the people, the people who are getting sick are the old and the elderly. Mm-hmm. And that's really, I mean, when you and anyone else, even younger gets sick, Usually there's something in their past or there's some kind of, and I hate that I know this word because I didn't really know it, this term before a year ago, comorbidity. Mm. Why did I have to learn that thing? Um, (laughs) You know, usually there's something there. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a, a, a change in the culture that I don't think is going away for the most part. I think there's there's a part of the culture that'll be like, all right, this, screw this, you know. Going, back, I'm going to try and go back to as much normal as I can. But I think there's a um, 
there's a big enough section of the culture who wants this to go on because it feels like it's giving them some kind of purpose in life. Right. Absolutely. I saw a meme going around social media. I don't know if it was one of yours or not, but uh, they're making distinctions between maskers and anti-maskers. And then uh, I saw another meme that said, there's no such thing as an anti-masker. We were here first. You guys are anti-facers. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't me, but that that's a good one. I mean, that really, it, it's... Yeah, you know, it's like when I um, I did an episode with Ben Armani recently, and the last episode we did, and he was talking about how they had made an announcement. I forget who what what it was, what state or what official said that. You know, well, once you have your vaccine passport, things can get back to normal. And he's like, "Well, that's just ridiculous because we didn't have vaccine passports before, so we we're not going back to normal." Going back to normal would be like going back to exactly what it was before this. Now all these things have to be done where you have to wear a mask or, oh, you can, you have to carry this, you know, carry an app on your phone or you have to carry paperwork with you and everything like that. Well, that's not normal. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, I mean, I remember when air travel was normal. I'm old enough to remember when people smoked on planes, but I remember when you, when somebody who was picking you up from the airport could meet you at the gate. Mm-hmm. After 9-11, that all went away. And we've had the TSA for 20 years now, and they've never caught one terrorist. Over 500 of them have been arrested for theft. And you know, most of them could not, without a government job like that, could not get a job at McDonald's. So it's basically a jobs program for people who are pedos, you know, who want to touch kids and things like that. I don't know. I don't want a job like that where I have to touch other human beings and pat them down. That sounds terrible to me. Sounds like an invasion of people's privacy. But no, these leches get this job and they're happy to have it. And they feel like, I guess, maybe they feel like they're doing something. You know, speaking of uh, air travel, I actually have not been on a plane since uh, before the end of the world. I was supposed to go to Costa Rica last year. We had got our passports already up uh, probably around the same time you and I first talked in February. My wife and I got our passports. We we're all ready to go to Costa Rica, and then boom, everything just shut down. But now I'm af- almost afraid to get on a plane because, you know, not only am I a rebel about the mess, but I'm the one who would probably be unlucky enough to, like, pick my nose or something on a plane and then I'll be put on a no, no fly list. I mean, I've flown, I think six times in the last six months and uh, I started flying again in September. And then I, I flew, I've flown a bunch of times since then. And I mean, it's, I mean, it, of course you have to wear a mask on the plane. If you put it down below your nose, you, you may get the wrath of the, uh, I'll call them what they are stewardesses. And yeah, but I mean, for the most part, for a while there, travel air travel was great, man, because it was like there was hardly anybody on the plane, mm. and it, it was you know the airports were empty as heck and everything. You just you had to love it and everything, but um, still, it's it's not normal. It's not what it was. I mean, I mean, to me, if for air travel to be normal, you have to go back to pre nine eleven, but I mean now it's just it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just the insanity of it all. Just, I'll give you a quick example. Um, If you're checking luggage and you have to get in that line to check luggage, oversized luggage, um, you know, bigger than a carry on, you you have to stand six feet apart. But -hmm. when you get on the plane, you're smashed together. Yeah. I mean, so what it's, it's theater. It's all theater. 
Absolutely. A guy like me who's six foot two is going to be sitting on someone's lap. I might as well just be breathing down their, their, their neck anyway. So, but there is a white pill in all of this. I don't know if you caught this news story and I, I'm not sure how true it is, but uh, you know, these days of fake news, there was uh, I guess a, an airline, maybe it was out of Israel and there's an Israeli flight where the, uh, there were two underage kids. They were like two or three years old. And uh, the flight attendants kept telling them to wear a mask and the kids wouldn't, you know, uh, but, as soon as they got kicked off the plane, the entire plane disboarded, which I thought was kind of like, hey, that's almost a protest uh, in, against we're not going to take this anymore. Well, I mean, I would hope it would be a protest against everything. I'm wondering if it was just a protest against, you know, these young children who have zero percent chance of contracting the virus. There's no I mean, there's no even if they did, there's no chance of them. Um, getting sick and dying of it or having any kind of lasting and the whole being able to spread thing. I mean, who knows asymptomatic spread? I mean, that still can't be proven. There's nothing, nothing out there to prove that. Um, I'm hoping that I would hope it would be like, okay, we, you know, we're not going to put up with this anymore. This is stupid, but I I have a tendency to believe it was because two children were actually being, um, being accosted and being forced to do something, which I mean, I, I, I like too. I mean, you got I mean, kids have suffered the most through this. I, I've said this before when I, I mean, I go into the supermarket sometimes and I see like toddlers in masks and I'm just like, that's child abuse. You're just normalizing child abuse. I mean, that, let that child breathe. Let the mm-hmm. child breathe. Come on. It's, this is stupid. A child is not going to get sick and die. Is they're not going to carry something home to their grandmother. I mean, it's just, it's retarded. I mean, the, I think the who recently said that even if you live in a house with somebody who has, who's tested positive, you have like a 15% chance of contracting it. I mean, that's, <laughs> what does that tell you about this? It just tells you that this thing was overblown at best, they just didn't know how to stop it because they're incompetent. At worst, nefarious um, nefarious forces are using this. And I think that, that both are true. I think it both can be true at the same time that, that there's incompetence involved. And there are nefarious forces who are like, we need to keep this going for as long as we can. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really a control thing. It is really a training up training society to be submissive to the, to the state. I mean, no better example, no, but this people can talk everything they want about nine after nine 11, the um, Patriot act, TSA, all these things. This is infinitely worse, infinitely worse, infinitely worse. I mean, you could actually, you could start a movement tomorrow. I think you could start a movement tomorrow to get the TSA disbanded. I think that a lot of people, especially people who travel all the time, would be like, "Yeah, it's probably a good idea. This is over with, you know. Let let the let the airlines deal with security on their own and everything, and you can start a movement. You're you're not gonna be able to start a movement when people think that there's an invisible enemy out there that's trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. I, I think that people are just, they've just unfortunately they've been changed forever, and their their lives are about fear now. And the ones whose lives aren't about fear are they feel like they're brave for standing up to this, this fight that you know Donald Trump allowed to happen or whatever. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. we're, yeah, it's, it, it, would, it wouldn't be hard to think we're in the end times sometimes because it's just so terrible. 
Well, it's, it's interesting because whenever you have a conversation with somebody who uh, might be antithetical to what you and I believe, they might be like, okay, point to a conspiracy. It's like, well, you just mentioned there's, there's probably a lot of incompetence and there's probably more than one uh, nefarious actor in this just taking advantage of the situation for what it is. I don't think there was just like a ring or a couple of people say, let's just you know disrupt the whole planet uh, for our own bidding. But like Vin Armani calls it the dim age. So it's like a bunch of partners moving on at the same time. It's really weird. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to, I mean, you do have event 201 that you can look back on, which is you can't ignore that. <clears throat> you can't ignore the fact that, you know, two months before this virus was actually made public that, yeah, I mean, made public in China, they knew about it and everything a couple months it took another month or two before anyone was really talking about it here. Really, the Wall Street Journal was talking about it in January 2020. But, um, you know, you have this war game scenario of a coronavirus breaking out around the world and, you know, starts in Brazil and starts in pigs and it starts spreading. And then, you know, they're like, oh, so how would we handle it? And well, I mean, it didn't start in Brazil as far as I know, and it didn't spread through pigs as far as I know. But then when you look at event 201, a lot of the things that they talked about, hey, this is what we need to do, is what they did. And I, I think it's kind of hard to ignore that. Um, but, you know, did someone know something we didn't? And man, it's, you know, there's a lot of coincidences out there. But, you know, they're just the fact that so much of what they said that they would do, they ended up doing, um, is really suspect. And it really makes you, it really makes you wonder. I mean, it's, I mean, 2020 was, it really was the end of the world. And we live in a new world. Mm -hmm. We, we, we live in a new world. And the most, the only thing that we can do now is figure out how we navigate that world. And I think navigation is the most important thing in the beginning. And then how we take back what was taken from us. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's a conversation that needs to be had that people just aren't having. Yeah. Nevertheless, though, it is the end of the world. Yet you and I are still alive, still talking to microphones and, and having some level of influence on people. So uh, you know, where do we go from here? I've seen you kind of evolve in your messaging since uh, this has all started. Uh, you talked a lot about philosophy. Uh, I talk a lot about uh, uh, how you were an agorist and you wanted to get away from uh like politics, but now you're starting to slowly see that there might be a, a place for it. Why don't you elaborate a little bit on some of that uh, evolution that you've taken place? Well, yeah, I've, I've written for my sub stack about, you know, the mistakes I made last year. And I think the biggest mistake was thinking that there was only one way out of this, that there was only one way to get through it. And that would be agorism. And I think agorism is still so important. It's just, it, it provides in times when, you know, white markets can't, but I think what we've done is we've reached a point where things are so out of control. So unlike the, unlike what we've seen before that really, we just have to throw everything up against a wall and see what sticks. If it's political, if it's, you know, running a, a, a national political candidate who will only talk about Liberty and talk about anti-war and talk about the, how the lockdowns were, criminal things like that okay cool getting involved locally and trying to dismantle government at the local level and 
give people as much liberty as back. Fine. That's great too. Um, getting involved in gray and black markets. Awesome. It, it, it has to be all of it. It has to be all of it. If you're only doing one thing, it's just, I mean, and, and one person can do one thing. Okay. You can be like, okay, I'm just going to concentrate on agorism. That's cool. But if you're actively saying, you know, this is the only way to get through it, which I did last year. And I apologize for, um, if you're still sticking with that, that this is the only way to get through, I think you're just, you'd have to prove that you, you'd have to prove that the one thing that you're advocating for and, and Bitcoin, Bitcoin people are like this too. BTC people are like this. Bitcoin is going to take, it's, it's going to take it down the system. It's going to, it's going to change the world. We're going to have anarchism. We're going to have a libertarian society. I'm okay. I mean, prove it. I mean, it's, lay it out for me how that happens. Uh, I mean, sure, the money system is what drives the um, drives the war state I and mean, drives pretty much everything. But you're talking about something that would I don't think it would have to have mass adoption, but you would have to have a significant. Some a significant amount of a, a percentage. It doesn't even have to be half. I don't even know if it has to be 30%, but and it would have to be, you'd have to concentrate it into small areas. And I mean, I think people already realize that because, you know, the Keen six up in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. they in New Hampshire is a state that has decriminalized. I mean, basically deregulated anything crypto related. So if you have a business that runs on crypto, they had no regulation. If you anything you want to do with crypto, you know, I've been up there, bought bought alcohol at, at bars with crypto, everything like that. Anything. So it's deregulated. Well, these guys had BTC um ATMs up there. And it 100 percent 100 percent legal, 100 percent allowable, no regulation at all. The feds came in and said, Nope, money laundering, you know, and um a friend of mine who's a lawyer went through it and they're actually calling, they actually refer in the federal indictment to Bitcoin as a controlled substance. Hmm. So obviously they think that, you know, they're going to do everything they can. And, you know, whenever, usually whenever the government fights against something, it just becomes a little bit stronger or maybe not stronger, but it becomes more, um, I would say expensive, but it increases the value of it, it increases the demand of it on, so, to a certain extent. So, you know, if you want to make the argument that it's that it's Bitcoin that's going to bring, I mean, I need to see a solid, solid argument. And I haven't seen one even in the even in that stupid book. And yeah, I mean, I just think that it's everything. I think that everybody should be concentrating on something and everybody should be supporting everything. I, I support the Bitcoin people. I support cryptocurrency people. I support anyone who's doing anything politically political action. I support the agorists. Um, I support the people who just post memes on Twitter and they're trying to do something when mm-hmm. it seems like it's impossible. And I think it's all of it. So, yeah, I mean, I made some mistakes last year saying that agorism was the only way that was just one of the, it was, it was a mistake, but you know, Hey, just own up to your mistakes and move on. You know I mean? That's, that's being an adult. 
Right. I think the idea is not only just owning up to your mistakes, but uh, being able to change your philosophy as it, new information comes. Sure. Uh, one of the things that I noticed that, and I'm going to intentionally crap on a political party today because I just don't understand. I was obviously part of the Libertarian Party uh, for a while, but you know they have this idea that there's going to be this uh, Ancapistan, right? That there's going to be this utopia and. Hardly anybody in the Libertarian Party talks about that. Actually, the whole point of a party, of a political party, is that you're going to be in party politics and they're voting that you would vote and you would do. I mean, there are some people who, there are anarchists who are in the Libertarian Party. Um, and I know a lot of people think that's a contradiction. I don't care. I, I don't, I really don't care what those people think. Um, but I don't think that the Libertarian Party. I don't hear anyone in the Libertarian Party saying that through the Libertarian Party, we're going to get Ancap get Ancapistan. I think that, um, if anything, the messaging of the Libertarian Party up until Dave Smith really got involved and started talking was complete garbage and had there was no vision whatsoever. I mean, they were becoming woke leftists and they still are. I mean, there's still some people in there who are just, you know, anti-racism and trans rights and all this collectivist kind of stuff that every time the government tries to um, address, you know, we need to help this group. That group always turns out to become destroyed. You know, <laughs> just look at the great society in the sixties. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't think the libertarian party has been has the goal of them has been in Kapistan. If anything, I think the thing that the, the thing that you can say about the libertarian party is that they had no plan whatsoever on how to do anything. And they were just literally just had no focus whatsoever. I mean, it, it's a social club at this point with what the libertarian party Mises caucus is doing. I think they're trying to, and they're working with some prags. They're working with some, some of the radical caucus. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it a focus because up until I would say three or four months ago, there, there was no focus there. I mean, there was, I mean, some local candidates would get elected and, but I don't know how much that had to do with the work of the libertarian party as much as, you know, independent people working to get people elected. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't, I, I think the Libertarian Party needs a focus, but I don't think that focus is going to be we can get to Ancapistan if we just, you know, go through the Libertarian Party. I don't, I, I don't really know anybody who, who puts that message out there. Yeah, I really stopped paying attention to political parties because I just don't think that any kind of political party is the true answer. And especially, as you mentioned, mm. that uh, the, the messaging for 2020 was just all wrong. I mean, we started this talking about the mass and the lockdowns, and I don't think I remember one thing that the Libertarian Party had ever said anything against the lockdowns or against mass or anything like that. So I Oh, they're pro mask. I mean, they're there. I, I was at the Libertarian Party convention, in Georgia, and the chair of the National Party, Joe Bishop Henchman, was in attendance. He showed up and he sat there in a mask the whole time. And most of the most pretty much almost everyone in that crowd wasn't wearing a mask. And I would and the people who were wearing masks were 
not looking at other people and go and thinking why, you know, or looking at them, giving them looks like, why aren't you wearing a mask? Don't you know how dangerous this is? No, I think they just chose to wear a mask because, you know, maybe some health issue or something like that. But there were clearly people there wearing masks because they're doing it in solidarity. They want to show the rest of society that libertarians aren't weirdos. So we're going to pander to you by putting a diaper on Mm -hmm. our face. And I think that's a stupid message because the people who want to wear a diaper are all leftists and pandering to the left is stupid. The left are psychopaths. They want you dead. They want your children raped and they think it's funny. Stop pandering to these people. They suck. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, they are, they should be on, let off a cliff somewhere. <laughs> and I mean, if they get the right leader, if they get the right leader preaching their message, they'll friggin' walk off a cliff for that person. So. Right, right. And so I wonder who that leader may be, although I've uh, I've checked out Angela McCarter a little bit and some of the other names. But like I said, P, I really distanced myself from politics just because I just don't think that's the way. I'm not a, I'm not a full uh, agorist or anything like that, but uh, you know, I do welcome the messages, like you said, from all different walks of life because uh, doing something is, is the only way to get out of this, make, make ourselves sane. If you don't, if you don't want to be a part of the party, if you don't think that, that it's worth it, that's fine. Actively like going on social media and saying, you know, anyone who's doing it's an idiot or, you know, putting down people who that's the path that they're, they're, they're choosing to take. I mean, that's the same thing as if I just got on Twitter and I started going, yeah, this, those of you choosing agorism, morons, (laughs) morons. I mean, why would I do that? I mean, why would I do that? Why would I, why would I put down people that I pretty much fundamentally agree with 90 to 95%, but I don't agree with on 5%. Why would I make enemies for 5%? Right. That's, that's a good philosophy. You don't want to be making enemies. You know, the, uh, I've been listening to the unloosed the goose podcast a lot. And of course, Jack Spirico and then, and, and all, uh, John Bush, um, they've been saying the same message I think you've been saying for a while is one thing I resonate to is just get out of the city, right? Move out of the cities, move out of the suburbs. I think that's for me is really the direction I want to go, whether I become, you know, full uh, agorist or not and working in a black and gray market. It's just these people around here, they, they just drive me crazy. You know, they're looking at me like I want to kill him. They're looking at me like, oh, you know, this guy is, you know, he's evil or, you know, I'm a Trump supporter, even though I don't even own a red hat, never had any kind of red hat. <laughs> Well, well, what's funny is August of last year, I, I thought to myself, all right, enough of this. I need to escape to the mountains. I'm going to go to the Georgia mountains and I'm going to just take three or four days. I can do some writing and I can just get away from all this mass craziness and everything. So I went to a small town in, Georgia, in the Georgia mountains. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot that a lot of old people retire to the Georgia mountains. So the mass craziness was there and it was, I mean, it was, so, I mean, I don't know, maybe things are different now. Who knows? I haven't been up to the mountains in a while, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought I was escaping the Atlanta and Atlanta surrounding area craziness. And um, no, no, I just went right up into the mountains and there it was still there. And, you know, every, every grocery store and coffee shop I went into and like this really small town, eh, just, People people loaded up wearing um wearing their diapers proudly. In that case, you know, <laughs> a lot of people probably wearing them on their face and other places too. So right, right. So there's no escaping this. You're saying so that's that's another black pill there, Pete. <laughs> it's everywhere. Well, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, you just have to have to hack the culture. Somebody hacked the culture back in March of last year. Somebody has to rehack the culture and um, give them meaning. You know, you've talked about that idea of hacking the culture on a couple of your shows. And uh, I like where you're going when you were talking with Vin about the, the mysticism of uh, particularly the Declaration of Independence. That was a culture hack back then. And, uh, you know, we, we need to kind of revert back to that. Sure. Declaration of Independence says that, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, creator, all this stuff that can't be proven. It's like, well, I mean, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Well, I mean, that can't really be proven, right? That's just, you're just making a statement where you're like, I believe this. It's self-evident. You can't convince me otherwise. Okay, sure. Yeah. Hey, we've been endowed by our creator. Okay, w- w- what creator? We don't have to explain that to you. So, I mean, hey, I think it's a good idea to go back to that. I mean, especially um, not so much on the left in this country, but definitely people who lean more towards the right. You know, you start talking about the Declaration of Independence, they'll listen. You know, their their first impulse won't be that that was written by slave owners. It was written by a slave owner, um, which is what you'll hear from people on the left. And maybe going back to that kind of simplicity, pledge my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor kind of thing. Maybe people want that again. Who knows? We shall see. You know, got to concoct the message and have a delivery system that is widespread. I mean, you can you can do it on a lot of podcasts and you can, there are a lot of podcasts with amazing amount of reach, libertarian podcasts and, you know, Dave, Tom, huge reach. Mm-hmm. Um, but until you're getting on like the Joe Rogan's of the world or, you know, you're talking about it on, you know, Fox business or something like that, you know, on Kennedy's show, um, people aren't going to hear it on a, on a wide scale. So, yeah, I mean, messaging is important and hopefully we can start at the grassroots and start getting some people to adopt that, getting some people to create their own language on how to spread that message. But, um, until we can really get in front of a lot of people and get that message in front of a lot of people, it's just going to be a good theory and um, we can plan it and try and iron it out and uh, tweak it as much as possible. Well, obviously your show has a lot more reach than mine does. Uh, you've been around for a while, and but uh, more importantly than just a podcast, I think that you're finally making it into the mainstream. Uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your previous work, the Monopoly on Violence, that documentary. When you and I first started talking, it had not been released yet. But the, the funny thing is, is that right after the George Floyd incident is when that thing came out. And I think it was it was really good timing. In fact, the day that it came, I, I think it showed up on, uh, it was either on Netflix or maybe it was Amazon the first day. I, I don't know, maybe YouTube. I can't remember, Pete, to be honest with you. But the very first day that my wife and I saw that was the day that the George Floyd protesting started coming out to our neighborhood. We got all the protesters out there. I'm thinking all hell is going to break loose like it has in, in on the Saturdays. But then my wife and I just relaxed and started watching the Monopoly on Violence, which I think had a, a tremendous impact. You know, a good good way to, to tell people about what's going on in the world. It was released on June 1st, which was probably a week after the the riots started, from what I understand, if I remember correctly. And we released it to YouTube. It took, um, we immediately had a, the one we released to YouTube had some sound issues, leveling issues. So we had someone work on that and get it, get it perfect. And then we submitted it to Amazon and it's six months. I mean, <laughs> I can get conspiratorial about it and say they didn't want to release it until after the election or whatever. <laughs> but um, it is available now on Amazon streaming. Um, 
Amazon Prime streaming. If you don't have Prime, it's I think two ninety nine or something like that to to rent it. And um, yeah, I think it came out better than I thought it would because um, you never know what the finished product is going to mm-hmm. look like, especially when you're shooting it and piecing it together. So it came out better than I thought, and uh, positive. I mean, we over a hundred thousand views on YouTube. I haven't checked the um, well. I don't check it. Chris Chris Kofer checks and sees you know how what our download numbers or what our view numbers are on Amazon. I don't even remember what he said the last time, but I know a lot of people are recommending it because it's on Amazon now. I don't know that. I don't know that this could get on Netflix. Um, we'd probably need to hire a lawyer and it just, it would be expensive and we have to be the right lawyer and still don't know if we'd have to get it on Netflix. But the next one, the one that we're producing now, we started production on will be aimed towards a mainstream. It's not going to be an anarchist or a libertarian documentary. It will be a mainstream documentary. So we don't think in, you know, taking on the subject of the police, we think that, um, and especially a critical eye towards the police, we think that this will be much more well-received and we'll have a better chance of immediately going on to Amazon and even you know, Netflix if uh, if it's received well. And yeah, we'll see. So yeah, that's, I think the the documentary side of everything that I'm doing is really important because people like people watch documentaries and you know, I, I remember a time when the only people who watched documentaries were like, you know, weirdos and everything. And now it's become like almost mainstream that people like to watch documentaries. So I, I think that, um, a lot of people, there's a lot of people who would rather watch a documentary than actually even listen to a podcast. So well, I mean, so somebody like me, I've been outside in the world since day one of the apocalypse. It's just because I have to. I, I can't stay. I, I can't make a transition into the fully digital. That's, that's where everyone wants us to be, right? So everything is is being right. broadcast virtually. You know, all your meetings are broadcast virtually. So I want to get out in the world. So I'm still able to listen to podcasts, but most people they're not going to the gym, they're not driving to work, they're staying at home. So when, when you actually have uh, some kind of format like that. Uh, a documentary, I think that the, the exposure will be greater in that aspect. So, Sure. I think the documentaries were really picking up uh, also before all of this. So I think that people are going to, it, it'll be something that'll be around a medium that people will be interested in for a while. And, you know, we, we may even shoot a feature length movie this year. Who knows? Well, that would be good. Yeah. That's keeping you busy, right? Yeah. Well, Pete, you know, there's there's just stuff that we can just talk about all day long. You know, the state of the world being what it is. I, I like to keep the white pill perspective. My show is generally more positive. That's why when I say things like mm-hmm. blessings, you look at me like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm always trying. To, I'm always trying to uh, look at the bright side of things. What do you see for the the future? I mean, do you think that uh, this will ever end? Do you think that uh, people are going to get back to normal? I know that Jack Spirico sometimes says that the the word normal is just like it makes him cringe, and I understand where he's saying that because what is normal? <laughs> but uh, do, do, what what are some of the white pills you could drop? I mean, hopefully what we're seeing with and, and Tom Woods mentioned this on an episode I did with him this past week that 
you know, even I'm completely against these vaccines. They're not even vaccines. They're friggin' lab lab experiments, um, experiments in gene therapy. It almost seems. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he mentioned that you know that a lot of old people. He sees a lot of old people in Florida coming back out, and it's because they've gotten a vaccine. And they're like, hey, you know, so I'm gonna get back. So you know, maybe there is. I mean, I'm not getting the thing. I'm not in the risk category. I'm. And really, I don't want to be, I don't want to be experimented on. So if people think that, Hey, I got this and now I can go back out. Well, maybe that will be, maybe that's a positive. Maybe it's people being like, Hey, as long as I got this thing, I don't care what Fauci says. I got the vaccine. I'm good. I'm going out and we'll start seeing people do that and stop putting so much, uh, so much stock in what these people have to say, you know, like I said, I mean, I got this fact it's not even a vaccine. It's just not. And if that makes people feel, you know, it's like, it's like the mass, you know, some, some of us were like, well, if, you know, just to get the, stop the lockdowns, people wear a mask and everything. It's like, I mean, but it's, it's kind of hard to have a white pill when you're looking at that and you're just like, okay, so we hate the word normal because there's really nothing that's normal. Everything always changes. Mm-hmm. So normal is not normal is a terrible word actually, because if things are always changing, there's really no normal. And um, I mean, I just, I really think that I'm just hoping against, against what would seem like all hope that people in, in mass are just going to start waking up and start saying, you know, this is just ridiculous. And hopefully if they start, you know, start in again and they're like, well, you know, the um, things are going to be, you know, th- there could be another strain coming and everything like that. People are just like, look, I'm, I, I don't want to live like I'm dead. <laughs> I don't want to live like a mushroom. I just want to go live my life. And the one thing, I guess the, the biggest black pill that I have is that these quote unquote private businesses, even if they're not being told by the government, Hey, make people wear masks, make, make people um, stand six feet apart just for CYA purposes, just so that they don't get sued they're going to keep this going because, you know, they're worried about litigation. They're worried about, or they're just worried that a certain segment of the population, if they, you know, if Kroger starts ending their masks require, putting their mask required signs and a per, certain percent of the population will stop shopping there. I just think that I, I don't see these companies, the places where we do business, and where we buy things, I don't see them abandoning this, even if the public and mass, even if the public and mass started saying, you know, we need to, we need to dial this back a little bit. That's my black pill. But my white pill is, I think that people are, there's going to be a certain segment of the population that's just going to be like, screw this, man, we can't mm-hmm. do this anymore. And hopefully we can, we can put a, me- we can get a message to them of some old school liberty, you know, some old school hold these truths to be self-evident and, you know, maybe re-spark, re-spark a revolution. I like uh, how Dave Smith said at one time, you know, for the people who are are completely black pilled, he's always like, well, you could like kill yourself. (laughs) And if that's not an option, then we have no choice but to go forward. Right. But I don't think that we're going to live in misery forever. I I think that I still believe, or at least I want to believe that there is a, um, 
a small sliver of uh, that liberty mindset uh, within the American population. We're seeing it fade away very quickly and indoctrinated out of us. But uh, just part of me believes that you know this isn't going to last forever. You know the world is going to change. There's no doubt about that. But uh, the, I don't think we're going to go full totalitarianism. Some would argue we're already there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope not. I just um, I think that if the last year has taught us anything, is the government doesn't even have to go full totalitarian. Your your neighbors will police you. Well, that's why we got to get uh, better neighbors, you know, build our community from the ground up. I so, hear you, man. All right, Pete. Well, uh, you know, I appreciate the conversation. Um, anything you want to plug? Um, Free Mammy on the Wall podcast, um, americaspolicecrisis.com. That is where the funding is for our next documentary. Um, our Indiegogo ended. We were short, so we're still taking donations there. And um, I have a Substack. It's uh, pcanones.substack.com. And you can support my work on my website at freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash store. I actually have my own kind of Patreon kind of thing set up for monthly or yearly uh, donations and uh, keeps keeps the censors away. All right. Well, Pete, you're a very hardworking man, and I appreciate the, the effort that you're putting into this movement, however you want to call it. And, um, you know, I'll let you have uh, the rest of your day and enjoy the afternoon. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Michael. I want to thank the listeners for checking out the show today. I also want to thank Pete for coming back on. If you want to get the show notes, articles, and other ideas for political freedom, financial freedom, or spiritual freedom, then you can go ahead and text the word Invictus, I-N-V-I-C-T-U-S, to the number 33777, and you'll be part of the email club, and I'll send you some great stuff. All right, so come back next week, and we'll do it all again. Until then, be productive, be hopeful, and most importantly, be free.